I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2016 Precision Farming Dealer podcast series. Today's program, Turning Lessons Learned into Precision Profit, is once again being brought to you by Farmer's Edge. If this is your first time tuning in, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series. It's currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, make sure and let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be able to get alerts when upcoming episodes in this series are released. And thanks again to Farmer's Edge, proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at farmersedgeusa.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Well, when thinking about the elements that make up a successful precision farming business, some that quickly come to mind are skill, knowledge, adaptability, and even a little luck. But any dealer will also tell you that adversity is a key ingredient. Mistakes will inevitably be made, and the ability to transform those missteps into opportunities is often what differentiates the progressive dealerships from the stationary. Mistakes can be valuable learning tools to help evolve and improve management of a precision business. So says Tim Norris, CEO of Ag Infotech, an independent precision retailer in Mount Vernon, Ohio. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast brought to you by Farmer's Edge, Tim shares 10 mistakes he's made and overcome in building his business as well as the experiences and how they've strengthened managerial and performance strategies within the dealership. Really quite honored to get to present here, but it was also quite humbling to be asked to present. I really don't have everything in Precision Ag figured out. I don't know half of what you know everyone in this room really knows. And I really had to stop and think, what advice could I give you that you don't already know? And it kind of made me sit back and think about what we do right and what we do wrong. So I made a list of the things that we do right. I thought, okay, that doesn't look too bad. Then I made a list of the things that I've done wrong. And it's like, holy cow, why did Jack ask me to present here? But after a lot of thought, I kind of figured out why I was asked to present here. And I think is because I must have made a lot more mistakes than the rest of you. So what I want to do, my agenda for the next hour, is I want to share with you the mistakes that we've made, what I've learned from them, how I've overcame them, and hopefully that will be some type of benefit or provide some type of benefit to your operation. So I thought a lot about this. I want to really share my background. I'm going to try to go through the background stuff fairly quickly. Um, but I want you to know where I came from and why I made some of the decisions with my business that I made. I want to introduce you to my company, and I want to share with you some of the growth that we've had in sales and in profit. Then I want to discuss some of the challenges that we ran into as we grew the company. 
want to look at some of the solutions that we implemented along the way and discuss some goals that I have in our company to keep us viable well into the future. So start off by who am I? Basically, I grew up on a small livestock farm and grain farm in Ohio. And the year I graduated high school, I really thought that I knew it all and I wanted to start grain farming on my own. Things went very well until the year of 1988. We had a pretty big drought in Ohio in 88. 89 and 90 were two very wet years. And then I got married truly to the greatest woman in the world, Heidi, in December of 89. We had our first son, Eli, in 90. And in 91 was another drought. So after four years of losing money and having the added responsibility of a new family to take care of, I knew that something had to change. I could not keep going on farming the way I was. And my banker let me know that as well. So in 2000, uh, or 1992, sold off all the farm equipment and decided to get a job in town. So in the fall of 92, I went to work at the local co-op and I was dumping grain trucks. Just a year before that, I was on the board of directors for that same co-op and I was asked to resign because I didn't make it farming and they didn't want someone like that on their board of directors. So it was one of the most humiliating experiences of my life. At that point, I pretty much blamed everything but myself for my failure at farming. I blamed the co-op for the weed control. I blamed the fertilizer circumstance. You know, I wasn't using the right fertilizer. But I really felt worthless, beaten, and kind of mad at my circumstances. But the fact was, I knew the mechanics of farming. I knew how to farm, but I didn't know the agronomics of what it took to grow a crop. When I graduated from high school, I thought no one at college could really teach me how to farm, so I went straight from high school into farming. And basically, that was my first mistake, and that was thinking that I knew it all. So I looked around, I realized that other farmers had this, dealt with the same circumstances, but they were still farming. So lesson one, it was my fault. Own your mistakes. We all make mistakes. So if you do something in business and you make a mistake, own it. If you're not doing anything, you're never going to make a mistake. And we really only fail if we fail to learn from those mistakes that we've made. I've tried to carry this philosophy out of owning my own mistakes and learning from them as one of the core values in my life and in my business. So I don't know who Harold J. Smith is, but this is a pretty neat quote I found out on the internet. And it said more people would learn from their mistakes if they weren't so busy denying them. And I didn't truly have success until I started to own those mistakes. So the next spring, I became a custom applicator. Um, I got uh, sent to the Country Mark Crops Development School, and I learned what it truly took to grow a crop. I studied quite hard, got my CCA in 1994, and while visiting a co-op in Illinois, I was introduced to the concept of grid soil sampling. And to me, being able to record where those soil samples were uh, taken from in the field, making a recommendation, putting it in a field and going back across that field with a floater, having that floater automatically adjust the rate as you're going across the field, that made sense to me. I was excited. I came back. I told the manager at the local co-op that I was working for about this new technology, and he said it would never work in central Ohio. So there's another lesson to be learned. When an employee comes to you and he's excited about a new idea or some, some idea or product he has, Keep an open mind and evaluate it. They could have the next idea that moves your business forward. But I decided on that day that that co-op was no longer the place that I wanted to work. 
So I looked for another co-op that was interested in starting a precision ag program. I found one about 70 miles to the north of us, moved the family, we went up there and started a precision ag program up there. Two and a half years later, that same manager that said precision ag would never work in central Ohio, called up and said he'd like for me to come back and start a precision farming uh, business there. So I moved everybody back and we started their precision ag program. A year and a half later, that manager decided to resign, and I ended up becoming the manager of the co-op that I started dumping grain at six years earlier. And I have to admit, it really did feel good. Hard work and thinking of how technology could help our customers' bottom lines had paid off. So the board wanted to explore merging with another co-op next to us. A year and a half later, we did that. I remained on as branch manager, but my heart was really in Precision Ag. And the general manager of the new co-op felt that selling precision ag equipment was not the direction that they wanted to go. They valued the data and the grid sampling, but they didn't want anything to do with selling the equipment. Well, my passion was in precision ag. I saw the need for that grower to have their own equipment to help them become more efficient. And I really thought that the equipment and the agronomics and the data all went hand in hand. So in June of 2004, I started Ag InfoTech, and it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made. So in the early stages of Ag InfoTech, in 2007, I hired my first full-time employee. In 2008, this was at the same time that I realized I could no longer read uh, things up close with my regular glasses and I had to have bifocals, I found out that I had a rare heart condition called hyperthropic cardiomyopathy. Two words that I couldn't even pronounce, probably still can't, and I didn't really want to know anything about. So I did a little research on a disease and found out that most people that have it don't know they have it until the autopsy table. My uncle died uh, when we were 48 from a massive heart attack while we were sled riding, just dropped over dead. I really believe it was because of that disease, it's hereditary. I was extremely lucky in finding this issue before I had a major problem like Uncle Bob. But by the time spring was over, I could barely walk up the stairs and I ended up having open heart surgery in June. According to the internet, the surgery that I was going to have had a 10% mortality rate. So I realized that I really was human and I could die. The surgery went well. I was back to work in three to four weeks, but that changed my life forever. And it really made me realize that I'm vulnerable and I need to have some type of succession plan. And I asked myself one of the toughest questions that I've had to ask, what would have happened if I would have died? Thought about my family, thought about who's going to take care of them. I thought, you know, where would my wife even begin with trying to dispose of the business? I thought about my employee that I had. Where would he work? Could he manage the business? Could he buy it? Would he even be able to buy it if he wanted to buy it? And I thought about my customers. Who would help them with the equipment? You know, where would they get the products and the services that they need? And would I be letting them down? And I knew that all these issues would be left to chance without some type of plan. And I did not have one. So mistake number two, not having a plan if something were to happen to me. The lesson I learned is I needed to have a plan, whether we're a business owner or if you're a key employee in your organization, it's crucial to you and your business and your families and also your own health to have some type of plan. So I knew I had to come up with a plan, so I started to work on developing one. Well, part of that plan was to hire someone, excuse me, 
that could run things if I weren't around. I had a person in mind, and he worked for a local co-op that was actually a uh, sub-dealer of mine. And I thought, well, I'd really like to hire Matt, but you know, it's not right to even talk to him about uh, hiring him until I talk to the GM. So I went and talked to the general manager of the co-op that he worked for, and I got his advice before I made an offer to Matt. I knew he wanted to work for me. I knew his interest and his passion was in precision, but I wanted to, to see how I should go about that. So in that meeting with the general manager, it was suggested that we form a 50-50 LLC. So some of the deciding factors to partner with Town & Country was one, less risk of expanding with a partner. Another one, they could handle all the HR issues, including providing a benefits package that I didn't have in place for my employees. It also opened up their customers to becoming my customers. And it ensured or helped ensure that the business would go on if something were to happen to me. But having a partner was very uncomfortable at first, and it kind of reminded me of something I did last summer. Now, jumping out of a plane, it was quite exhilarating, uh, but it was uncomfortable as well. And partnering with Town & Co-op was a lot like jumping uh, out of a plane from 10,000 feet in the air. But like having a partner, some guy strapped to your back when you jump out of a plane feels pretty weird as well, but uh, things do happen fast. And just like having a partner in skydiving, that partner helped put my mind at ease just knowing that they were there. And they actually helped me see the gold, helped guide me towards it, and helped me uh, get the business to where we are today. But once that chute came out when we were skydiving, we had a lot of time to look around, see things, and really enjoy the ride. And just like when the chute opens when you're skydiving, when the partnership had times to settle, I really saw things clearly and enjoyed, enjoyed what we did. So lesson three, fortunately, I didn't make a mistake from either partnering with Town & Country or from deciding to jump out of a plane, but I did learn that there's no guarantees in life. And sometimes we just need to have faith and we need to jump. Otherwise, we might miss out on what all God has in store for us. So with the partnership came some great things. It really freed up pretty much all of my time as I didn't have to focus on accounting, payroll, financing, HR issues nearly as much as what I did before. I also got two employees from the co-op, and so we doubled the workforce from two people to four, and we were all excited and we worked well together. In 2010, sales increased 67%. 2012, we hired a salesman and a part-time office assistant and another technician. 2013, we moved our business off the farm and into Mount Vernon, and our office actually shares the same hallway as FSA and NRCS offices. The neat thing is every farmer in the county walks right by our door. In 2013, we hired a full-time uh, office administrator and a second salesman, and in 2014, we hired an additional tech and a data technician. Now, in 2015, I really kind of had to reinvent our go-to-market strategy to be able to sell in these tougher economic conditions. And we also added another data technician. So that kind of brings us to the current situation of Ag Infotech. And we're basically a full-service precision ag company in central Ohio. We sell Ag Leader, Trimble, Precision Planning, NORAC, uh, Soil Max, Dakota Micro, Orthman, and OP Integris grain monitoring systems. We also offer precision ag services like soil or smart sampling, VRA prescriptions, yield data analysis, RTK topo mapping, and drainage and tile design. And we provide services to over 600 growers in uh, Ohio and western Pennsylvania. We're also the backroom service provider for the following companies, Town & Country Co-op, Central Ohio Farmers Co-op and Waldo, Morrill Companies, Dusty's Ag, and Novus Ag. 
And we were named 2015's Precision Farming Magazine, Dealer Magazine's Most Valuable Dealership. So our mission is to serve God and to serve mankind by bettering our customers' lives, by providing timely, reliable technology products and services, helping our customers be more efficient, accurate, and profitable through the use of precision ag equipment and practices while operating a profitable business that seeks to better our employees' lives and our customers' lives. Our core business value, or our core business is precision agriculture. And basically we define precision agriculture as a set of tools that includes hardware, software, and services to help our growers maximize every acre of their farming operation. And our purpose can best be described by the tagline that we use called precision with a purpose. We want every product and every service that we deliver to a grower to serve some type of purpose. It either needs to help them solve a problem improve their quality of life by making their life easier or simply making them more efficient or profitable or we shouldn't sell it to them. So when we first started, we were roughly a little under 250,000. Um, in 2005, we were almost to 500,000, about 600,000 in 2006. So 2006, we had a 40% increase. Uh, we had a 24% increase in 2007 to about 750,000, a little over 800,000 uh, or 4% increase in 2008, 19% <clears throat> increase in nine, and a 67% increase in 2010, and so on, until we reached a little over uh, $3 million in sales at the peak in 2013. Then we lost 9% in 14, and then had a 3% gain uh, in 15, and that's estimated. So if you take a look, uh, anything 2010 and earlier was before partnering. Uh, that 67% in 2010 was the first year of the partnership. We hired our first salesman there in 12, second salesman in 13, and then this also shows the number of employees that were at each step as well. So one thing I got thinking about, and I added this in last night, was what are our sales per employee? So you can start to see that um, our sales per employee, it concerns me a little bit, they're starting to go down. But as we add more and more services into the mix, I would kind of expect that. So when you look at the profit, um, the couple little notable things here, we see a pretty good rise when I was by myself. As soon as I hired my first employee, it started to drop down. Um, in 2010, I started to pull a salary out because that's when we consolidated. Um, so we didn't see too much growth there, but we ended up with a little bit over uh, 200,000 profit in 2012. 2013 was about 175,000, and then we're roughly at about 100,000 the last couple years. And a lot of that's due to reduced sales, lower margin, extra labor expense, and some extra expenses that we had. Well, again, this growth didn't come without its challenges. One of the first challenges is we sold uh, on our service. We wanted to basically give half of that service away to get the sale. And we really typically undervalued it. And I couldn't believe how much our customer service needs multiplied. When you start thinking about selling a million, two million, three million dollars worth of equipment, it doesn't sound like that service needs terrible. But when you start adding all those other years onto it, it's just amazing how much that need grows. And not only do we need to service what we sell, but everything that we've sold in the past. This is why I write everything out so I don't get mixed up like that. But we also end up servicing what others sell as well, because sometimes our competition doesn't really do that. So mistake number four, undervaluing that service. 
And I think it's quite tempting for one of my salesmen or myself to offer free installation or not charge for our services to make sure we get that sale or to get future sales. And equipment dealers seem to have this figured out pretty well, and I really needed to kind of learn from them. They strive to have their parts and their service departments cover the entire expense of their business. And that way, if the economic times get tough, new sales don't happen, they can still survive. But <clears throat> since we really don't sell many parts, we basically sell new systems, I kind of strive for a 50-50 balance between uh, income from gross margin and income from our services that we offer. Um, we're not there yet, but we are working on it. The good news is that income is definitely increasing. So when you look at our service income versus sales margin, in 2010, we were at 72%, 66% in 11, 86% in 12, uh, back to 66% in 10, in 1470, and we got to 94% in 2015. So where does our service income come from? Well, we do the grid soil sampling, the yield data analysis, RTK topo mapping, and tile design. Um, and installation and service is another big one. But this is somewhere that we really had a lot of room for improvement. We seem to be able to make money on pretty much any of the other ones that are out there, but we really struggle with making money on that installation and service portion. Um, so to really make money and make that service profitable, I think we need to know a few things. One, what is the true cost of that service tech to our company? And what does that equate to by the billable hour? Then how many hours of that service rep's time are we actually billing? And then how can we improve upon this? So if you look at the total cost of an employee, let's just say we have an employee that's making $15 an hour, probably fairly low for what we're paying most of our, our techs. But if you look at 2,080 hours at $15 an hour, that's $31,200. Put benefits and taxes of roughly 40%, that equates to 12,480 hours. Our office or our expense for our computer, our phone, our truck, and our training expense, when you divide that out per service employee, it's $12,705. So the true cost of a $15 per hour employee costs Ag Infotech about $56,385 a year. So then you got to think about, well, how much time does that tech really have to work? And if there's 2,080 hours in a year, work year, you got seven paid holidays, that deducts 56 hours, 10 paid vacation days, that takes away 80 hours, three paid sick days, there's another 24 hours, and five days of training, that's minimum, that's another 40 hours, and that only leaves 1,880 hours available for that tech to actually work and to bill. So keep in mind that a $15 per hour true cost is 56,000, Divide that number by 1880 and you come up with $30 an hour. But that's if they're billing 100% of their billable time. If they bill 75% of that time, it's only $40 an hour. 50%, their cost is up to $60 an hour, 50%. And at 40%, it's $7,703. And 30%, it's at 100 bucks an hour just to, for the cost of that employee. So 40% is not good enough. 
Um, so again, that mistake, I want to say, is undervaluing our service. Our lessons learned, we see two options. We need to either be able to keep track of that tech or keep our techs busier all year around or charge more for that service. And I really think we need to do both. We need to keep them busier and we need to charge more for the service. So if you look at our labor income and you see what we're actually charging for service and labor, we're charging, or we're basically collecting $120,199 this last year. So that's not near enough for the number of techs that we have. <laughs> We've got three and a half service technicians. That doesn't begin to cover their expense. When I look at our percent of billable hours, we've got uh, in 2010, we only billed 23% of the hours that we had available from those techs. Uh, that's all we billed for service. And we're finally up to about 40%, but that's still no ways near where we need to be. We need to be up 75 or 80% is where I'd like to be. So how can we bill more serviceable hours, hours in a seasonable business? One, spread out the workload. Well, that sounds good, but what can you really do in a precision ag when almost 80% of what you do comes in the spring and then the rest of the time you gotta try to figure out what, what to do? So one thing that I thought of is we really need to accurately record the time that we spent on service calls because I know we spend more time out there than we actually bill for. We also need to train our employees better so we have less mistakes because I guarantee you there's a lot of times we've went out, we've done a job, we've done an installation, but something didn't happen, something didn't work quite right, we didn't train our customer well enough, let alone our employees well enough, that we had to make another trip out there and then we feel like we can't bill for that. So another thing that we thought of is we thought what products could we sell and actually install and service that would have a different timeline than the rest of Precision Ag. So one of the things we thought of is the Opie Integris grain bin monitoring product line. Bins are usually empty June through August and they're full in December and January and that's when you can put this stuff in a grain bin, when they're empty or when they're full. And so those timelines really match our techs slow times pretty well. So we took on the OP Integris line um, and that's been a, a great benefit uh, for us. So another thing that we did is we tried to focus on a June and July uh, early order planter program where they could order all their parts for the planter for next year, but we wanted to put them on in June and July. So we did actually offer a discount, which I told you not to do earlier, but we offered a discount on our service so that we at least could bill some more serviceable hours, service hours in June and July when the guys were sitting there with not you know, a ton of stuff to do. We also created a preventive service program where we go out ahead of spring ahead of fall and make sure that we service the equipment that's out there. So another thing that we did is we added a telematics solution to track our vehicles and our employees. When the employees uh, get into the vehicle, they log on and we also know when they started, how much drive time they have, and how much time was spent on a job. This gives us proof if a grower questions the time that was spent on a job as well. It also gives us a history of how many times we've been to a grower's house or farm. We can put a geofence around their uh, shop and every time a truck drives in there, it's gonna record our time that we've been there. It also gives us a lot better documentation to show our suppliers how much it really cost us to go in and put another update out there that didn't work the first time and we had to do it a second time. It also allows us to dispatch our closest tech to service an issue. And hopefully we'll see less trucks passing each other on the road. 
This is what the dashboard looks like. You can see where all the vehicles are. You can zoom in and say, I want to see where Matt's at. And you can zoom in and see exactly where he is and he's sitting right at the farm. So mistake number five, giving away the margin. Um, as a farmer, I really thought, you know, 15% would probably be a fair margin. And even when I got into precision ag, I was thinking, wow, you know, 25, 30%, should we really be charging that much? Well, I'm gonna tell you, yes, you should. We strive to maintain, when, at the end of the year, a margin of over 25%. If we don't make over 25%, we're gonna to start to lose money. And I think it's often tempting to offer a 5% discount to try to drive business. Well, don't do it unless you're really making at least 25% after that 5% has been knocked off. Uh, when you take a company like ours, you have $3 million worth of equipment sales at a 25% margin. Your expenses to sell that equipment, let's say is 550,000, that only leaves you with $200,000 of profit. But let's look at what happens if you do a 20% margin. So if you just re reduce that by 5%, now your total margin dollars is 600,000. That only leaves you with a $50,000 profit. If you can increase it just by 2%, it added $60,000 to your bottom line. So do everything you can to maintain that margin and keep it up there. Um, if your margin's too low, try to find add-ons that maybe are a higher margin. A McDonald's always wants to know if you want that sandwich in a meal. Well, the reason they do is that pop and, and the uh, fries are very cheap and high margin items. So try to find something in our businesses that we can add on to a sale and maybe add an additional 30 or 40% or margin to try to get that overall margin up. You need to make sure that those fries that you add are somewhat unique that, and that they add value and it's something not easily obtainable from the competition. I know a lot of people are trying to do it with like cameras, RAM mounts, and those are some good examples. But I think that one of the better ways is to try to start bundling services in with that sale. Bundle in that preventative maintenance package. Bundle in an extended warranty if you can do that. Um, I think that's a great way to try to get those margins up. Another challenge that we had was not having all of our information in one place. As we added salesmen, we had each salesman was using their own laptop, their own Excel spreadsheet to make quotes and to keep track of who needed serviced. And this segregation of information made it especially difficult if one of us went on vacation or if one of us got sick. So mistake number six, I'm gonna call it data segregation. And I really think that data segregation, not having everything in one place, limited our growth. As we needed to add employees, or as we added employees, we needed some type of centralized customer relations management tool. And that really became evident. We looked for an online solution that would track our quotes, our service requests, our uh, soil test request, and uh, deliver and store data for our customers. And we really couldn't find anything that did what we wanted to do, so we ended up building it. We call that tool AgriVault. We use it to track our quotes, our orders, our pick lists, and our invoices. And we also use it to enter and track our service issues. And this helps us track and capture more billable time as well on that service side, and helps us build a better database of problems and how they were resolved. So we also track our soil sampling and our VT VRT work orders as well. So this is what the dashboard when you log in looks like. You can see we have a proposals graph um, on the left and the service request on the right. If you zoom in and look at that proposals graph, uh, this was uh, a snapshot I think of like December 15th. 
So we had over $4 million worth of quotes out um, on December 15th, and there's 300 different proposals that were out there. Um, once that proposal is actually accepted by a customer, it moves over to pick list. When you go in uh, and move it from pick list, once all the parts are here, it goes over to the work orders, then our installers know to go out and actually install it. When it's completed, it goes to the completed column. Carla knows to bill it. As soon as it's billed, it goes over to our invoice column. So if you click on any one of the columns, it shows you all the quotes that are in there or a pick list. Um, and you can go down through. You can see what the proposal was for under the proposal column. You can see what salesman made the quote. Um, you can see what stage it's in. You can put comments on when you order stuff. And you can also put in what the likelihood is, this is more for the quote side, of the customer actually purchasing it. So in our sales meetings, we go down through this, we filter it out by salesman, and then the salesman and I talk about each one of these quotes, and we give it a one through five on what our chances are of actually closing it, so we have a rough idea of what kind of parts we need to order. Our service requests handled basically the same way. Um, in December, we had six open, we had 43 in progress, two we were waiting on parts on, and one that still needed to be billed. So this time of year, I don't get too concerned with these in progresses, but in the season, it's my goal to see these zeroed out or close to it at the end of the day. Same thing for soil sampling. We have the uh, soil sampling and the VRT prescriptions there. Uh, if you actually look in at it, we have the same thing, ordered, ready, sampled, completed, and invoiced. So it helps track everything all the way through. We also use this tool to transfer and store customers' raw data and their soil sampling, planting, spraying, and harvest maps and reports. It's also a way to deliver all their precision ag data in a way that the grower can interact with that data on their own anytime without any software needed. So this is basically our own virtual Dropbox. We can put things in here. So we have like our uh, planting recommendations, our planting maps uh, over here, um, their prescriptions. Anything we put in here, the customer can't manipulate. The only folder that the customer can upload data into is the raw data folder. But they can go in and download any other information at any time. And then we also compile all the information together in SMS and then put it out on this tool where they can go out and they can choose the report that they want to look at. So if they want to look at yield by pH, they hit that drop down, choose yield by pH. They choose the year of the data they want to look at. So he's looking at 2013 soybeans for the crop. And then it gives them the report and shows what the uh, soybeans yielded based on each one of those levels that we have. And then you can also see it in a graph and then you can see it in a scatter plot so they can see where the data fell into play. So this platform basically streamlined our communication between our team. Uh, so one of the lessons we learned is definitely have some type of CRM in your business. Um, it really helps keep everyone informed in your organization and everyone knows what's going on with that customer. Um, and we do sell subscriptions to AgriVault if anyone's interested as well. But mistake number six, don't try to build something yourself unless you have a lot of time to stick into it. This project cost me way more than I ever would have planned on, and I probably wouldn't have started it if I knew it was going to cost what it did. But that reflects on our profit margins in 2013 through 15. So I do feel we have something unique. I think it's going to help position us well into the future, and it's paid for now, so hopefully our P&Ls will be looking a little better than what the last two years did. Mistake number seven is we 
didn't have any organizational chart for a long time. As we added people, it kind of got confusing. People really weren't sure what they were responsible or who was responsible for what. And employees would kind of get confused about who they really should report to every day. Do they talk to me? Do they talk to Matt? Do they talk to Jeff? Who do they need to, to talk to? So as we grew, <clears throat> I knew that I needed to really communicate my expectations. I read a book called E-Myth Revisited, and it became really clear to me to think about our company as if every position in our company had a person for that job. Then have a clear de job description for every position in that company. And when your company's small like ours, Several employees, or each employee is going to hold several positions in that company. So that's what we did. This is our organizational chart. So it starts at the top with the owners, then it starts with the, or goes down to the CEO. And the CEO basically is responsible to set and share the vision and the mission of the company. And simply put, the CEO tells us what mountains to climb and provides a plan of action. The COO is responsible to see that that vision and mission is carried out. And simply put, make sure we have the proper gear, the training, and we're actually climbing that mountain. So the VP of sales, they work with the following positions, the salesman, the marketing manager, and the training manager. And they take direction from the CEO and COO and make sure that everyone's on the same page. Same thing with the VP of service. They work with the warehouse position, the information services, tech support, and installation. So the positions that I hold, I'm an owner, I'm a C, the COO, or CEO, uh, VP of sales, I'm a salesman, I'm the marketing manager, um, I'm also the training, in the training manager and a trainer, and I also work on the tech support side. But when I'm on that tech support side of the business, I know that I'm not the one that's responsible. I need to talk to Matt. Matt directs me, he tells me where to go, he tells me what he needs, and Matt's in charge. Same thing for the salesman. Um, or Matt Culler, who's the COO, he actually works everything on the uh, service side of the business. And then Jeff Studer is our data uh, manager, so he works just with that data uh, services section. Our salesmen typically hold a salesman job, a product specialist, so we created a product specialist for each product line that we have. That specialist is to know everything about that product line. So the ag leader specialist goes to all the ag leader meetings. He tries to know the website in and out, tries to know everything about the firmware, about the products, and to keep everybody on the same page, and they're an internal uh, person to go to for us. <clears throat> this is a job description that we have for each of the positions, and so everything's kind of detailed. So the lesson learned there is our employees really need to know our expectations. And some type of organizational chart in the job descriptions provide the employees with my expectation for each position and lets them know who is responsible. And the neat thing is, as we start to add people, we can take away some of the responsibilities from those uh, people that hold multiple positions and let them focus on their key areas. We'll be right back to hear more from Tim in a moment, but I did want to again thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm, Smart Solution, will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398.
Well, listening to Tim's experiences so far, one of the consistent themes that pops out is his ability to recognize a problem and then work toward a solution. As he noted, those solutions aren't always easily identified, but investing the time, money, and effort has paid off with a more profitable business. Attention to detail is an attribute that Tim has honed as well through mistakes made, leading to more detailed number crunching on the ROI of his employees, or realizing a need to develop an in-house data management storage solution. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Tim and the importance of selling solutions and not just products. Selling solutions, not products. Um, in my early years of selling technology, I was totally focused on a product. I spent way too much time focusing on the, feature the features of the product and not near enough time on the benefits. I was trying to sell my customer what, they th what I thought they needed based on the product's features that I had. And it worked, but I thought it was really the wrong approach for Ag Infotech. So I started to switch my mode of selling to selling based on ROI. I developed several different spreadsheet calculators using the numbers that customers gave me to determine the payback of our technologies. So this is one of the calculators that asks how many acres you farm, um, what your average corn yield is, the selling price, um, how much overlap you think you have. Uh, we put in the estimate uh, of the amount of equipment that they need, and then it provides an ROI uh, back and tells them how much we expect they would gain from the use of this technology. So with this one technology, it was about $60,425 a year with the acres that they planted, and it would pay for the system in half of a year. The back page kind of tells them or gives them a background of where the information came from so they can see how we figured it. And selling on ROI was quite successful, but this solution really required us to show the need to the grower. And I believe to truly be successful in this business, we need to partner with our grower and uh, actually provide solutions, not just products. So I want to tell you a little bit about Tom and Diane. Tom and Diane was a couple that came to me and Tom wanted to buy two auto steers and a complete clutch system for his planter. Um, he had a 24-row planter. He wanted it, Diane didn't. Diane wanted a new kitchen. Well, I got there, kind of talked him into going ahead and, and moving forward with this planter and the auto steer. And the first, I don't know, first week or two that they had it, I got a call, Tom was broke down. So I went out to the field, I got him going, and it's just as I was getting ready to leave, I see Diane flying down the road, dust coming up the back of her pickup truck, and she puts her arms out and starts waving me down. I thought, oh no, she's gonna complain about this new system breaking down and she's upset. Well, she pulled up to the edge of the field and she said, I just wanna thank you. And I said, thank me, for, for what? And she's like, you gave me my husband back. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, before I would deliver lunch to the field and he would just get out of the tractor, he'd eat it, he'd wolf it down, get back in the tractor and take off and, and just leave me to clean up the mess. She said, now I bring lunch into the tractor with him. I sit and we talk. Now, most guys usually start to laugh at this part and say, well, that's not a benefit. But, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> she says, I, I get to talk to him and I just really feel like he pays attention to me when he gets in at night he's not near as tired and we talk at night. And she said, I really felt like you give, gave me my husband back. And it got me thinking, you know, we really need to sell on the solution, not the product. Why did Tom want to buy auto steer? 
Was it because he wanted to have a hydraulic valve on there that was hooked to GPS and would actually turn the wheels? Or did he really want to have an easier job? Did he want to make his life easier? And Diane, I know, didn't want it, but I needed to convince her, or I actually did convince her, to buy it on what, why I thought they needed it. But once she saw the true benefits to her, it really helped her fulfill that need, and, and that this system helped her fulfill that need, she saw the value in it. And I really wonder, do we really know what our customers' needs are, or are we always trying to guess at them? So at Ag Infotech, we created what we call Precision with a Purpose, and we really want to make sure everything we sell to our customers provides some type of purpose. We put it on our advertising, our clothing, and our trucks, and we created a profile that helps our Precision Ag consultants try to really truly discover what those true needs are uh, for the customer. So this is part of a 10-page profile that our guys walk through. Um, it records their types of tractors they have, whether it's GPS on it now, what displays in it, whether it's steer ready. Um, you know, we'd look at their combines, we look at their planters, we'd see if they're doing anything with tile, and we really try to get to the core needs of that customer. And once we help them discover their needs, they want a solution because it's their need and they just told us about it. We also try to find them a product or a service that is actually a solution to that need. And again, if this product or solution that it meets their needs, um, and we're not really trying to convince them that they need it. So uh, we're pretty excited about that. Once you show them that this will do it, and you show proof either through data or testimonials, they wanna know the economics. What's it going to cost me? You show them what it's going to cost, and you provide them with a system uh, and show that it's going to pay for itself using an ROI, then the only real barrier at that point is cash. So we offer a financing solution right up front before they ever have to ask for it to show positive cash flow. And I think really at that point, it's kind of a no-brainer for them to go ahead and pull the trigger and make that, that purchase. Although this solution really isn't for everyone, it has proven quite successful when used, and it works great with growers that are just getting into precision ag and want to have a planned approach. It also works quite well with growers that have a mismatch of equipment and are not sure what they have or what all they can do with it. So what about our future? Well, we created a business plan. We focused on branding Ag Infotech. We adver advertise Ag Infotech solutions rather than advertising products and we're going to focus on our precision with a purpose approach. And I think we really have the systems in place to expand. Our business plan consists of the mission statement, the core business, and our purpose, which I shared with you earlier. And I think it's very important that we all have one of those, or have those things and that we share them with our employees so they know what they're really working for. It also has our core values, our company history, our market, our strengths, our weaknesses, our challenges, our short-term goals, our long-term goals, and then a plan to reach those goals. Our organizational chart, job descriptions, our financial history, budgets, financial projections, and a succession plan. This plan is always changing and it's never finished. But as we add to it, we keep it posted on Dropbox so our employees can go in, have access, and it's shared with them. So branding Ag Infotech, I talked a little bit about that. We're advertising our solutions, not our products. We created some solution handouts that talk about the needs that our growers have and how our products can help meet those needs and provide an ROI. And we're trying to simplify our truck graphics and just have Ag Infotech on it instead of looking like a NASCAR truck with everything that we sell. 
But our Precision with a Purpose uh, Solutions handouts, um, this is an RTK Auto Steer Solution handout and a Hydraulic Downforce Solution handout. And when you notice, two-thirds of these handouts are focused on the benefits to the grower. We talk about maintaining the proper depth, better seed spacing, less sidewall compaction, and more profit. Then we only have about a quarter of the page dedicated to the actual, actual solution itself, and we're highlighting both the precision planning one and the ag leader one. Down at the bottom, we talk about the ROI. We talk about extra ears per acre. We talk about the yield increase, and there's some data charts in there to kind of prove that up above. We talk about the corn price, extra profit per acre, and then we talk about how many acres you'd have to plant with a 16-row planter to pay back for that solution. Solution selling really focuses on the needs of the customers. It takes the focus off the product and it provides the grower with the best product for their operation. And that's really our goal. And it puts the focus on the solution provided by Ag Infotech and not just one company. So poise for growth. Again, I said I think we have all the systems in place to uh, add additional employees and to grow our business relatively smoothly. We have the financial stability of the co-op behind us to help us take on growth. And we have the desire of the management and the employees to grow. And I really feel that our future looks bright. I wanna go back and just review some of the lessons we talked about. So one, we all make mistakes. It's what we learn from that mistake that really makes us better. Two, we never know when our time is up. Be prepared. Have a plan in place for your business and your family if something is to happen to you. And three, there are no guarantees in life. Everything can look good on paper, but it's not guaranteed. Sometimes we just have to have faith, take a calculated risk, jump, and enjoy the ride. Otherwise, again, we might uh, miss all that life has to offer. Four, don't undervalue your services. Focus on tracking employees' hours billing the actual hours on the farm, and try to generate opportunities to use them more in the off-season. Lesson five, don't give away your margin. Do everything you can to try to maintain at least a 25% margin. Lesson six, have some type of CRM or business management tool in place, especially if you get over, I think, four employees. That's where it really starts to get hard to keep good communication between everybody and keeping all the information in one place. But have some type of CRM tool out there uh, just to help keep everyone in the organization in, uh, informed. And again, create some type of organizational chart, even if it's extremely simple but have job descriptions to back up each one of those positions and really make sure your employees know what your expectations are for them and what your expectations are for each position. Lesson eight, I think it's definitely with today's economics, make sure you have some type of ROI tools in place and communicate with the customer what they should expect for a return on investment from their purchase. And lesson nine, sell by providing solutions. And I really think that you're going to gain a customer for the long haul. And lesson 10, create a business plan. It can be simple. It can be very complex. But have that business plan outline your strategies. Have that business plan outline what your core values and missions are so your employees know what they're really working for. And finally, 
I've learned so much from my mistakes. I think I'm going to go out and make a few more. So and with that, I'll open it up for questions. How would you look at expansion? Um, you know, you've got your you've got your partnership with Town and Country and some of the other co-ops in the area. Would you look at expanding even further out to regional uh, other regional areas? Um, definitely. So one of the things, and actually, I've been thinking a lot about expansion <laughs> and and how we would look at that. But we've been approached by a couple um, smaller um, precision planting dealers that have decided that they can no longer meet the uh, requirements that uh, precision planting has put on them. Um, both of the ones that we looked at, we really didn't, we decided not to uh, pursue. But I think there's definitely some opportunities that are, that are going to come to play, especially as um, businesses desire or want to have people have higher levels of volume to maintain a good margin. That I think there might be some opportunities there to partner up with another uh, business somewhat like ourselves. The other thing would be a merger. Co-ops are very good at mergers. <laughs> and if our co-op, if town and country would decide to merge with another co-op, that could provide expansion into some other areas as well. Um, but I'm definitely looking at expanding and, and would be interested in, in doing that. Uh, when you look at your uh, agronomy services, do you have an idea of how much of the market you're penetrating and what kind of goal you would have? as far as percentage of the acres uh, in your AOR? That one's one that's really hard for me to try to figure out. And I, I, a lot of other industries, you can find a lot of good information about you know, how many, what your market share really is. And I know there's some precision uh, studies that have been done, but every time I go to, to get one or look at it, it usually costs three to $4,000 <laughs> to see what the market is out there. Um, so I haven't really figured out like what percentage of the market we have in precision ag equipment sales. In agronomy sales, I could probably figure it out. I really don't know. We're doing about 140,000 acres that we're making recommendations for each year, uh, but I haven't really figured out what that market share is. Okay. Tim, uh, everybody in this room struggles with trying to uh, capture our billable hours and our services. Um, have you done anything to Capture phone time. Home time? Fo phone time. Phone time. The phone calls. Um, yeah, that's something that we have always decided that we're going to give away for free. <laughs> um, but when I look through and see how many minutes our techs spend on the phone, especially in the spring, you just wonder how do you get anything done. Um, so we did start a policy about three years ago. If we didn't sell the product, um, we were actually going to, or we actually build the customer for the call. Um, then I set a policy a year ago that if the system was out of warranty, we were going to build a customer. And quite honestly, they didn't follow through and didn't bill, bill it. Um, so that's something that, and we got a little bit of kickback from the growers, but uh, um, when we made that announcement and I put it in a newsletter, but so far we haven't actually built an existing customer for something that is out of warranty. But it's, it's where we need to go and I need to focus with our agronomic consultants that we have and make sure that happens. Okay, Tim, you talked about uh, having backroom service provider uh, relationships with some other companies. Can you describe what that looks like and how you guys structure those? 
Oh, for like the backroom service providers? Okay. So we do all the uh, processing of the yield or the uh, yield data and the fertility data, the soil sampling data for those other organizations. So they go out and pull the soil samples and then we create the recommendations and send them back, a deliverable back to them. They can take everything out to the grower. Uh, we make the recommendations for whatever system they're going to spread the, the VRT, VRA prescriptions with and uh, provide it to them that way. Tim, hey, uh, I have a question. When, when you're putting together uh, packages, at, where, where does guidance fit in? I mean, do you, do you try and sell high accuracy guidance as, we, as we're getting into a higher uh, data environment, an increasing data environment with more geospatial data uh, appended to data sets over time? Does, does higher accuracy help you long-term when you look at, at, at the long-term data play? Or do you just kind of fit, you know, WAS or uh, Omnistar or RTK? Or, or is there a way that you approach that strategically? Um, we Strategically, we try to say if you're going to plant RTK, um, we never really had, we had so many trees and hills that uh, Omnistar never really worked very well for us. So we kind of stayed away from the intermediate. It was either WAS or RTK. And we're blessed in Ohio to have a great RTK network unfortunately or fortunately however you look at it it's free um, the reason i say unfortunately is that has not allowed other companies to really come in and try to build something that they could sell so if that network went down what's our alternative um, but i'm going to say we're probably our, our customers are 50 to 60 percent on rtk um, and we really try to promote RTK as much as we can because the boundaries and the waterways and sprayer boom shut off, everything works so much better, you know, in my opinion, with the RTK. And we're blessed in Ohio to have a good network. Your, your org chart showed you had separate sales and service techs. Um, I don't know, if, are those the same people? Or just want to get your thoughts on... You know, like a precision egg specialist versus separating those two functions. So we have three service techs that are nothing but service, um, service and installation. That's that's all they all they do really. Um, except sometimes they'll get thrown in a soil sampling rig um, in the fall. Um, but then both of our salespeople that are full time sales they turn into a service technician, um, probably. 75 to 80 percent of the time in the spring of their time in the spring spent on service and very little of it spent on sales and then the rest of the year i'm going to say they're about an 80 20 balance um, so 20 percent of the time that they're out on the farm they'll take care of some service issues while they're already there um, but the rest of the time it's it's on um, sales and in my time i spend a little bit of time in service you know maybe 20 percent in the spring uh, but the rest of the time, I'm I'm at the office, or in the planter. <laughs> yeah, I got uh, two questions. I guess um, regarding like billable time, like you talked about with phone calls, do you guys offer some sort of yearly service contract for any of your customers? Yeah, and it's way too low cost. <laughs> it's two ninety nine for two displays and a hundred dollars for each additional display, and then we'll come out, we'll update it. Um, and really it's, it gives us something to do in the off season and it helps reduce the amount of calls that we have in the spring, but it needs to be way higher. I guess the second question I had was with, with the agronomy side of it, with, with the soil sampling and, um, are you generating maps and, and just giving like your opinion of what they should do? 
And does that lead into more equipment sales for you, or is that just an extra perk to have um, come to you? No, it also, yes, we, we do provide recommendations. Um, we have a couple standard formulas that we use. One, of course, would be the tri-state recs for Ohio, Indiana, and Michigan. Um, so that's pretty cut and dry. They tell us what their yields are. Um, we you know, type everything into the equation, it spits it out. The other way that we do it is we actually use their yield maps for crop removal, and then we do the buildup and drawdown from the tri-state recs. Um, and then we also have another formula that we use, which is the old OSU recommendations, because some of the customers still want to go that route. Um, but then any customer can tell us any equation that they want us to use, and we will write that equation and build their maps that way. So. Uh, yes, we bill for the recommendations. Yep. Um, do you change your labor rates according to the season? We haven't, but that's something I want to, to discover or to explore. I think we ought to really charge a higher rate for emergency service versus a rate for planned service where we come and we can take our time and do two or three jobs in one place versus having to drive 50 miles to a vehicle because it's broke down right now. And what, um, what are you charging per hour? Not near enough. <laughs> uh, we're charging $65 an hour and then our emergency uh, or, or our non-equipment uh, that wasn't bought from us or out of warranty. If it's out of warranty or it wasn't bought from us, it is $90 an hour. And we put on the quote that if the, there's something, if it's under warranty and you have a problem that is not equipment related, it's operational, we're going to charge you that 65 an hour to come out. No, I've, unfortunately, I've been out 11 or 12 at night. Um, our techs will do that too. Uh, I try to tell them, don't go out on a Sunday, but they'll still go out on a Sunday from time to time. So, and we don't charge any different for that. On your basic agronomy services, such as your grid sampling, uh, data processing, uh, recommendations, yield maps and such, are you going as an hourly fee to that grower or are you building that back to a per acre cost? We do that as a per acre cost um, and we have it broke out by our the average acre size of the farms. Um, one of the things that we run into, we have a lot of small fields. If, if I take a look at all the acres that we sample for town and country co-op, their average field size is about 15 and a half acres. Um, if I go and look at all the fields that we do to the west of us and get out of the Appalachians, um, then the average field size is around 40 to 45 acres. So we have a break at 40 acres and above, we charge one rate. Between 20 acres and 40, we charge another rate, and uh, 20 acres and under, we charge another rate. For, But it is done by the acre. Uh, on that rare occasion when a customer wants to trade something in, uh, how do you handle that? Yeah, we trade them in. Um, that was one thing that uh, we've always been taking the trades in. Uh, we actually sold a ton of GPS units that we had some, some issues with. We traded, I think, oh, it was 26 of those units back in. We took them back in um, and we sold them. We have a, a friend of mine that actually sells quite a bit of stuff on eBay. He sold a lot of those on eBay, and then we had a Blue Friday sale. Um, 
uh, everyone has the Black Friday sale the Friday after Thanksgiving. This year we decided to do a Blue Friday sale this Friday before Christmas. And we put all our used equipment out. We had about $180,000 worth of stuff in our conference room. And uh, <clears throat> we actually advertised it. We had people come in and we sold $80,000 worth in that, that day. Um, and actually the day after people kept calling and and uh, bought some of the stuff but so that's that's how we try to get rid of our our used equipment and then uh, what didn't sell there we did put on eBay to try to get rid of some of the used equipment as well when uh, we've got a, a mix of ever, all kinds of dealers in the room today from the independents to the traditional farm equipment dealerships to the co-ops when you look at the vision and I know that you were talking about long-term plans and, and looking out into the future what what do you see ahead in the next five years and, and how the different dealer models are going to carve up the opportunities that are out there? Well, as far as the different dealer models, I think you're always going to have the OEM suppliers um, and you know, the, the major equipment manufacturers are going to be in the precision ag. So your local case dealerships, your John Deere dealerships, I don't look for them to change a whole lot, except I think they're probably going to get better at what they're doing. Um, I think they're going to probably be bigger dealerships. I think you'll still see some consolidation in those areas as well. So I, I don't really look for that side to change a tremendous amount. Um, I think the, the area of co-ops, I think you're going to see them continuing to merge together and provide and get better services as well. I think the biggest change you'll probably see is independent dealers. And I think especially five years down the road, it's going to be maybe pretty difficult for an independent dealer to be able to compete with those co-ops and with the equipment companies. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, they still have to make a profit, but they don't have to make all their profit from that precision ag sale. If they actually pay for itself and break even, they're probably fine because they're paying for, or they're selling more fertilizer or selling more agronomy services or they're selling more equipment. Um, we have to make a profit from it. So the only way I think an independent dealer is going to be able to survive, one is to grow and to be able to maintain your sales volumes enough that you can get the good margins from your suppliers. And two, I think you're going to actually have to be very good at what you do and provide a level of service that is unmatched in your market area. I think as long as you put the customer's true needs and their true uh, desires at, at heart and you, you look out for the customer, you're honest, you provide a good service, I think there's still room for an independent dealer. But I do think they're probably going to have to be bigger and maybe merge together with some other independent dealers. I'm, I'm not sure what that's going to look like, um, but I'm definitely seeing the need that we need to be more than just one location and uh, we need to grow. Tim, I was just curious if you have any layer of protection um, on your data management side of things for when you provide the maps to the customers. Is there any sort of level of protection that you have if, if there's any errors in your maps, let's say over plants, under plants, things like that, that keeps them from coming back to you? It doesn't keep them coming back to us, <laughs> but we have insurance for that if, if we do have a problem. Um, one of the things that we did this year, we had a mistake where... Um, one of our uh, techs went out and set up a Great Plains twin row planter. And for some reason, he was thinking that they should be set as 30-inch rows and not 15-inch rows because 
they were, you know, 22 and a half and seven and a half. And for some reason he miscalculated and we put on twice as many beans as we should have on, a, well, it was probably 30 acres, 20 acres till we ran through a pro box. <laughs> and the customer decided, oh, you know, we got a, got an issue. And I got a call from it. We said, don't, you know, don't worry about it. There's nothing we can do now. The seed's out there. You know, we'll take care of it. I called the insurance. Um, and it ended up being just right at our deductible, so we just wrote a check for it. But that really got me thinking, are we really, you know, are we covered for that? And I knew we had an errors and emissions, but I wanted to make sure that it really was going to take care of that. And that, yes, it was. They had no problems with it. And that was one of the advantages of having the co-ops insurance because it's extremely good insurance. And they're used to making recommendations and things. So. Uh, Tim, early on in your presentation, you kind of mentioned or alluded to going from uh, competitors to partnering um, and some of that aspect. What, what are your thoughts as far as uh, precision dealers or equipment dealers and precision dealers or even co-ops and agronomists partnering together to get the farmer's solutions taken care of and, and where can we go with that as an industry? I think that partnering is great, and we done that pretty much early on um, by taking on some sub-dealers, uh, especially like when Ag Leader, uh, well, when Kinsey came out with a vision system, we partnered with a lot of the Kinsey dealerships to provide the support for that vision system on the planter. Um, you know, anytime you, you partner and it's not it's more of a relationship like a sub-dealer relationship. You're taking the chance that that sub-dealer is going to eventually get into precision on her own. And four out of the six Kinsey dealerships that we made sub-dealers uh, back in the, I don't know if it was 2008 or whenever that happened, four of them are now pretty substantial precision ag competitors of ours, okay? So I feel like we kind of helped train them and get them started, and then they took off and became their own own dealer. Um, a couple co-ops, uh, or not, not, well, one was a co-op, one was a uh, equipment dealership. We started uh, to help them become a sub, they were a sub dealer for us, and both the co-op and this other equipment dealer are now their own um, ag leader dealer as well. So I guess I'm a little hesitant about partnering um, on some aspects. On other aspects, uh, like the backroom services for uh, our grid sampling, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, but I try to choose the partners wisely. I think it can come back to bite you sometimes. Well, thank you to Tim Norris for sharing his mistakes made and lessons learned to run a more productive and profitable precision business. Those listeners who would like to see more of Tim's presentation mentioned during this program, please visit www.precisionfarmingdealer.com slash podcasts. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's episode, and feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com. Or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And once again, if you haven't done so, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get alerts when future episodes are released. And you can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free e-newsletter 
And be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Finally, another invitation to join us at the second Precision Farming Dealer Summit, which will be held January 9th and 10th in St. Louis. And the theme of this dealer-only event is Proven Business Blueprints, and will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. For more information and to view the entire program and agenda, visit www.precisionsummit.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on November 3rd for the next episode in our 2016 podcast series, Keeping Precision Data Safe and Secure, when attorneys Lance Formwald and Todd Jansen will share some of their best tips and considerations for ensuring that customers' valuable farm data is handled with care. For Tim Norris, Farmer's Edge, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.